I'm Lara Land, somatic coach and yoga teacher trainer, and this is the Beyond Trauma podcast. What a couple of years we have had. The challenges continue to grow, and more and more of us are experiencing some level of traumatic stress. My commitment here is to bring you the most up-to-date insights on exactly how trauma affects our mind-body-spirit system and how we can work with our bodies to soften its impacts. You will be hearing from trauma survivors and researchers, and together, we are going to incorporate what they have to teach us to heal ourselves and promote the well-being of all those around us. Here we go. It's out! The Essential Guide to Trauma-Sensitive Yoga is now available everywhere books are sold. This is the book for every yoga teacher, studio, and practitioner who wants to incorporate an inclusive practice to yoga. It's available on my website, laraland.us, and everywhere books are sold. If you're loving this podcast, you are going to love this book. Hello and welcome back, everyone. Hope you are enjoying beautiful springtime, and I hope to see you at some of these many, many workshops. I'm going to be traveling a lot, so I hope you've taken a look at laraland.us, and I hope to see you in New York City or in Massachusetts or in Miami. That would be really fun, you know, now that we've connected here. Let's connect all around the world. In fact, I think I'll have some European 2024 workshop dates to announce soon as well. So Get your calendars out and block out some dates for yourself because there is nothing like a retreat to restart, reinvigorate your practice. Anything from a weekend workshop to a longer one is going to help you to stay motivated during those times of year when motivation goes down, which is normal. But we do need those extra getaways in addition to our daily practice. So hope to see you at one of those events, laraland.us. Uh, Hopefully you've picked up your book by now and are enjoying your first read. Well, I've, as the author, read it through quite a number of times, but I seem to, it seems to be the kind of book that you kind of read and reread and and use over a time. So, you know, if you're affiliated with the yoga studio and you want to let them know about the book and about trauma-sensitive workshops and trainings, do that. I would like to continue to travel in fall and winter and spring. So anyway, moving on to today's episode, this is a special one. I often find people to come and talk to me through other guests. And I think that's actually one of the best ways. I really enjoy doing that. And you may remember a previous guest, Alexandra Seidenstein, an old dear friend of mine who speaks on the podcast about epigenetics. If you haven't listened to that episode, do go back and take a listen. And I was talking to her, I was asking her, you know, I want to talk about resilience. I want to talk about healing. And she said, well, you have got to meet my friend, Amy Cher. And Amy has quite a story. We connected immediately. She sent me one of her books, one of her four books, She has quite the story. She, where to start? Well, you're going to hear about it from her. She was bedridden and she is thriving now. And she was dealing with 
Lyme, which I know many, many people are dealing with. There are some friends in particular that I'm going to send this episode to because they are dealing with Lyme disease. Tick bites are no joke and they're often undetected, strange symptoms. And if we don't push in the medical industry, they may not get to the right diagnosis. And if we don't look outside the medical industry, we might not get the full holistic healing that we deserve. So listen to this episode. We are talking about tapping. We're talking about muscle testing. So some practices that you might be curious about how they work, if they really work. And also I think what's so central in this episode, the fact that we can heal ourselves and at least part of our healing responsibility comes from us, even when we get that medical diagnosis. And this is a very special story about self-healing. So Amy Share, wow, we're so lucky to have her, an expert in mind-body healing and helping people release blocks to become their happiest, healthiest, and most creative selves. She is the award-winning and best-selling author of four books, which are translated into 20 languages and endorsed by notable authors such as, well, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, Eat, Pray, Love, Sanjeev Chopra, MD, Harvard Medical School, and Brotherhood with Deepak Chopra, and more. Her work has been featured in Oprah Daily, CNN, CBS, Washington Post, Cosmopolitan, Good Morning America, and more. She lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and her bad cat and can be found at amybshare.com. And we will definitely link her in the show notes. She's a great resource. I know you're going to enjoy this episode and I hope you will get one of her books and start using her tools to help with your own self-healing. I have been using a lot of these methods as you'll hear me talk about in this episode. There we go. Hi, Amy. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you for making this time. I know you are very busy, sought after author and healer. Thank you. I asked my very smart, funny, everything yoga doctor friend, Allie, who was on an episode earlier when I probably when I first started doing the podcast, talking about epigenetics, if she could recommend someone who could talk a little bit about resilience and you were the person that came to her mind. I love that. And I love Allie. Everybody should listen to that podcast. Yes. It's really good. (laughs) It's really, really really good. Epigenetics is so interesting. Really. But your story is, wow, very, very interesting as well. And I think very important You had Lyme-born disease, right, for almost a decade? Yes, I had Lyme disease that lasted about 10 very, very long years. Yeah, and the thing is, so many people now, it's more and more common. As we were just talking about, I live up here in the country, and and the seasons are changing, and you can't even really rely on freeze as much. And so more and more people are having to deal with this. Actually, someone I know is, and hopefully she'll listen. (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. It's definitely a difficult thing to deal with. Although if you catch it early, if if you're one of the lucky people who knows that you were bitten and you get on antibiotic treatment, there's a really good chance that you'll then be fine and just never think about it again. But so many of us are bitten without knowing because ticks are so tiny. They can be as small as the tip of a pen. And the bite can look like nothing. It can literally look like nothing. And so it's very easy to 
you know, just kind of not feel well or be tired or achy or whatever it may be and have no idea that you were bitten by a tick. And that was your case. And maybe you can share, you know, a little bit if it's okay for you Yeah, of to course. go back there to not a great memory. Yeah, of course. And now it's been so long. I was bitten, you know, sometime, I'm not totally sure when, sometime in early 2000s, I think. So it's been such a long time, but the journey did last what seems like forever for me, although I've been well for almost 15 years now. But yeah, I basically started having symptoms in 2000 and I started having migraines and I went to the doctor and you know they said, oh, it's probably just your hormones or your age. I was in my early 20s. And I thought, okay, I guess it's just that. And then I started getting nauseous and they were like, well, it's just your digestion. And it was like one thing after another sort of was creeping up on me. And I should say, like, these are very general symptoms that could be linked to like anything, right? Like a virus or stress, trauma, being burned out. Like these are all things that like anybody could suffer with and not have Lyme disease. But one of the difficult things in diagnosing Lyme disease is that they are sort of these generalized symptoms that could be anything. So eventually, a few years later, by the year 2000, I was having problems walking. And then it was like, okay, something's really wrong. I was having like searing pain in my legs, problems walking, I was tripping. And by then when I got to a neurologist, stuff started showing up on my testing. So I had nerve damage in my legs. Then I had more testing and found that I had a type of brain lesion, which is just basically blood flow wasn't getting to all parts of my brain. I had low blood counts. I mean, by that point, you know, a few years later, it had gone unchecked and bacteria replicates as bacteria does. And it has sort of infiltrated my body. And so at that point, I think it was seven years into my first symptoms when I did get a correct diagnosis. But prior to that, I got so many incorrect diagnoses. And looking back, I don't even think they were incorrect. I just think they weren't the root cause. Like I was diagnosed with neuropathy because I had nerve damage. I do think it that's true. I did have neuropathy, but nobody knew why. They were calling it different types of neuropathy with, you know, with no known cause or the cause of something that didn't make sense. So it turned out when I was finally diagnosed properly with Lyme disease, which only happened because a doctor suggests I get tested with a lab that specializes in tick-borne illnesses. So I had had many Lyme disease tests before because I asked for them. They would all come back negative. And it turns out that 40 to 50% of the tip, kind of the standard testing that's done can be a false negative. And I didn't know that. So once I got to the right lab, it came back positive, And then that was it. At least I knew what I had. But of course, then the journey to heal was its own thing. And so, I mean, I'm wondering a couple things about getting a diagnosis. We haven't really talked about this on the show, like how traumatic it is to get a tough diagnosis. On the other end, I'm wondering if you were kind of relieved to know, okay, this is what it is. Yes. I was actually really relieved to know that that's what it was until I started digging into and talking to people about the treatment because I figured in my 20 something year old brain, oh great, I know what it is. I'll just, I guess, take whatever they give me and it'll be fixed, right? The joy of being in your 20s. (laughs) I was like, this will be easy now that I know what it is. But Lyme disease is actually really difficult to treat if it's been undiagnosed and unchecked because it can infiltrate the body. So it was in my bone marrow. My blood counts were really low because my bone marrow was suppressed from the 
from the infection. I mean, all kinds of crazy things were going on in my body. And by then, it's not easy to fix something. And so I was relieved at first until I realized how difficult it could be to treat. And it turned out it was to treat. And yeah, I think, I mean, getting a diagnosis is always the first step in anything. And sometimes that can take so long. And it can happen because doctors don't want to listen, which happens to many women, but it can also happen just because doctors don't know everything about everything. And lots of things look like other things and it's confusing. And you know what I mean? They look at the tests and sometimes the tests don't, don't point directly to things. And so I think it was just like a journey of just getting to where I needed to be to know what I had. And then being on sort of a different journey to get to the right people or the right help or the right, you know, epiphanies within myself to understand what to do about that, what would actually help me heal. Yeah. And so, I mean, you must've been so exhausted at that point. You're kind of losing control of your body and yeah. And I was in a wheelchair for part, I was bedridden for part of the time. Like I was, a, I was an absolute mess and it was in my twenties when all my friends were going out and having fun and getting married and doing all of the things. And I just like, couldn't leave my house. It was really, really bad. And how did you get out of that? So I got out of it through a very long process of trying lots of different things. I did many, many different treatments. I even went all the way to India for an experimental stem cell treatment. And I feel like all of those treatments either did something or did nothing and got me to the next place I had to try. The stem cell treatment definitely helped to replenish and repair the damage done to my body. But about a year later, I started slipping backwards again. So the stem cell treatment really, really helped. And previous to that, I had been on antibiotics that I also do think helped. But I was on, I mean, I was on like intravenous, you know, and intramuscular antibiotics, like major antibiotics. But I think the question was like, what do I do now? Like the bacteria is probably gone, but my body is so deteriorated for, from having this infection for a decade. Like that's a really long time. It wears down your immune system completely. And so, you know, I had this nine weeks in India that was amazing and really, really healing and helpful on a physical and an emotional and spiritual level as well as India usually is for people. And I got back and I was like, great, now let me just move on with my life. Like, whatever. I'm almost healed. I had gotten so much better. I'm just going to like get on with this. And then I did for about a year. And then I started to see a recurrence in my symptoms. And that was really when I was like kind of putting the pieces together that you can't just take a pill and move on. I mean, maybe some people can, and that's really lucky, but I wasn't going to have that kind of luck. I was not going to be one of them. And I really started to look at what else contributes to illness. Like, what is it? It can't just be that you're, if it was that I was bitten by a tick and I had an infection and that infection deteriorated my body, then what should have fixed it is getting rid of the infection and repairing my body. Yet that didn't do it. So for me, it was like, okay, there's something I didn't see and something I'm not addressing. And for me, that was very much my emotional landscape. And it sort of, internal patterns that I had, people pleasing, not having boundaries, being a very like fear-driven person. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody to be mad at me. I didn't want anything bad to happen to the people around me. I was kind of a closet control freak, a Virgo. So partly born into it, but I think partly <laughs> practiced as well. And, and I started really doing research about how those things affect our physical body, like how we interact with the world has a direct effect on our physiology, on our physical body, on the chemical processes in our body. And so 
that was a huge turning point. And that was what eventually that discovery and working on that aspect of my health is what actually got me completely out of the illness terrain. And I've been well ever since. Thank goodness. Was there something that, that was it just like it clicked for you? Was there something you read that made you realize like this people pleasing? I've actually been reading a lot more about that. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't one thing. I think the thing that I, the one thing that really like hit home was like, okay, I've done everything I was supposed to do and it's not fixed. It's something else. Like that, that's just like, I'm a super, again, Virgo, I'm a practical person. I was like, logically, this doesn't make sense. If it's all the things that I thought it was, and I did all the things to remedy those things, I checked off everything off my list and I'm not better. It's not one of those things. Like that's just how, that's just how I looked at it. And when I was reading that our traumas, our past experiences, our patterns, like people pleasing, perfectionism, all of that play a part in how our physical body works, how our immune systems function, essentially what those things are is they are a form of stress. And we all know how bad stress is, but we forget or don't recognize that the stress that really, really breaks us down is not like running around all day trying to, you know, get all our chores done. It's the stress that comes from all of that deep internal stuff, like holding trauma, like being fearful all the time, like being afraid for people to be disappointed in you, like trying to keep everything under control every second of the day. That type of stress is the stress that really wears on the nervous system and the immune system. And those two systems are intricately tied into our well-being, our physical well-being. And so I think what I started reading about stress and trauma and how our emotions, you know, can contribute to illness, not to say it's ever anybody's fault. This is just human stuff, right? All the human stuff that we deal with just contributes to what plays out in our body. It's not our fault. But when I started reading all of that, I was like, Oh, like I really got it. Like I, like I was like, I'm not going to get into like self blame and all this BS. I don't need to add stuff to it. I just need to, if I want to feel better and that's my ultimate goal, then I'm willing to consider the idea. I had something to do with this, even though it totally wasn't my fault. I somehow participated in this. And that was truly after hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills and going all over the country and all over outside of the country, like that was the thing. That was the turning point for my total and permanent wellness. Wow. So silly. It was free and it was there all along. And it's just like the last thing we all go to because it's the hardest thing to deal with. The hardest thing to deal with is to face ourselves. The easiest thing to deal with is to take a pill. Yeah. So, and you know yeah, this from yoga, yeah. right? That's what yoga is about. Like, nobody wants to, but we have to. Absolutely. You know, I see it again and again that we all want the the quick fix, and you know, this stuff can take a little longer. Yeah. At the same time, it's like slow and steady wins the race because actually, it's both. You know, because that just that realization is so powerful. Exactly. Exactly. And also like, I feel like it took me a long time to get to that realization, but then that's something that's almost like, I hate to use the word cure, but that realization is sort of the cure for life. Like in a way, like, right. Like you take a pill and then you have to take it forever and then something else might come up and then you take another pill or whatever. But this is something that we can always look at to see whether it's cure something or improve something or shift our perspective. 
understanding this is like the thing we get to now have for the rest of our lives to help us in every single way. And I come back to that whenever anything is going on emotional or physical in my world. It's like, I still come back to that. Like what is going on inside? Because I understand it has much more of an impact than I would like it to have. <laughs> what are some of, I mean, I want to, I want to talk about some of the technologies that you're using. I really want to talk about tapping and muscle testing, Yeah. but just before we get there, what are some of like the questions that you ask yourself when some of these things come up and you're like, okay, I need to check in. Yes. So the first one that I have, and I have like literally an encyclopedia in most of my books that decode physical symptoms to help people understand what the physical symptoms might be say. But because I've been through this so long, it's actually just something that I do really well, which is kind of decode the body's language. But that is always what I ask myself is what could my body be saying through physical symptoms in order to get my attention? Or what could my body be saying through this anxiety, through this depression, through this anger? It doesn't even matter what it is. You know what I mean? But what is my body trying to tell me? Because the body speaks through symptoms. It just doesn't have any other way. There's no other way for your body to tell you something's not right. And by not right, I don't even mean something's really wrong with you. I just mean some little thing that you're harboring or something that's uncomfortable or something that you thought you let go of, but you didn't. So that's the question that I come back to over and over. What is this symptom telling me? What is it telling me I'm afraid of? What is it telling me I'm not paying attention to? Well, just what is it that I need to address? And, and for people who can't really, who can ask that question, but can't really discern that yet, I think the muscle testing is a great way. Yeah. So muscle testing is a way to use your own body's muscle response to tap into what is true for you. So what your body is either believing or feeling or resonating with. And there's definitely several forms of muscle testing and I teach them in my books, but there's also pendulum testing for people who are familiar with that, which is using a weighted object like a necklace to ask questions and the pendulum will swing one direction for things you are in resonance with and one the another direction for things you aren't. So essentially what the pendulum and your muscles are doing through these two processes are telling you, yes, I'm in resonance with this. We need to deal with it. Or no, that's not, that's not sticking for me. It's not something that I'm in resonance with. So I'll give you an example. So if I was really anxious, I might use some muscle testing or some pendulum testing to ask, is the root cause of my anxiety linked to something I'm worrying about? And then I would measure the response either from my muscles or the pendulum. And one thing would happen if my body was saying yes to me, I resonate with that. It is happening because of that reason. That is the root cause. Or my body or the pendulum would do something else, say no, essentially, or give me a no to say, no, that's not it. And then I literally just keep guessing well, am I feeling out of control? And then if I got a yes in my response, I would go to another question. And just like you'd be asking a friend, like, you know, you'd be asking, are you feeling out of control? What do you think you could be feeling out of control about? And then we can all list 5,000 things we're feeling out of control about. But with this, I would test, I would muscle test or pendulum test until I got to the thing that my body was in resonance with, that my body said, yes, that is the thing that's essentially keeping you stuck. And so our cause or the root cause of this anxiety. So that's essentially how the testing work. It's sort of testing what your subconscious mind knows, but you may not. 
that makes sense. It absolutely is. I will. And, and then at least, I mean, this is the, this is the genius of it. You know what to work on because how many times, you know, I wrote a book on anxiety and everybody walks around saying, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious. And sometimes you think you know what you're anxious about, but you don't. Okay. So muscle testing is basically a really good guidance system because we've all heard stories. And I certainly have of people who are going to therapy for 20 years and they're rehashing the same things and they're not feeling better. And therapy is so beneficial for many, many things. But sometimes we end up thinking we know what the problem is, but it's something totally different. It's something more subtle, something we haven't thought of for a long time. And so that's where I've found muscle testing really, really helpful for myself and years of seeing thousands of clients. I find that a lot of times the thing we're focused on that we think is the root of the problem really isn't because we've already talked about it. We've already processed it. We've already went to therapy about it. It's often something we haven't thought of or that doesn't make sense. And, and you know, I tell people this all the time, but again, emotions aren't logical. So when we're using our logical brain to try to figure out why we're feeling something, it's not always an accurate way to go about it. That is so true. And uh, I did, when I was reading your book, thank you for sending me one of your four four books, Amy. Yes, four books. <gasps> Amazing. And I know <laughs> there's one on the way. Um, how to heal yourself when no one else can. There's so many good practices in there. And there's a, a great deal on the muscle testing. And I I started doing it to myself. You know what I think we didn't mention, like you were saying, you kind of test like what's your yes and what's your no. So that helps yes. you to understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, so for folks who are just like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. So you're basically getting, you're basically using muscle testing, your muscles response to give you an indication about what your body is going through, what thoughts you have, what emotions you have, what beliefs you have that might be contributing to whatever your challenge is. So it makes more sense when you read about it and you do it. But chiropractors use it, naturopaths use it, nutritionists use it. There's lots of different people who use muscle testing. And I find that it's just so much better than guessing. Otherwise, we're just sitting around guessing all the time. If anybody out there is like me, guessing doesn't always get you the best answers. You're just kind of leaving a little bit more lost. So, no, this was really powerful. I mean, I ended up at an answer of like something happening to me before I was one. Yes. Right. And would you have ever thought of that? It was a little intense to receive that. I'm feeling the chills in my body right now. Yeah. And a lot of times, and actually most of the time it's something small, like it could have been like you put in time out, like you, people get so scared that it's like, they're going to reveal some huge thing. Honestly, 99.9% of the time, it's probably even higher than 99.9% of the time. It's just like, oh, like maybe not this for you, but like your brother was born when you were one. So you felt excluded. It's like going to be something like that. It's these things that traumatize us are often very different from what we think of as big traumas. They're often just things that we felt that we weren't able to process or let go of and they got stuck. That's it. Yeah, especially pre-language, right? Yes. Almost all of the time we end up looking back and going, it was that? Are you kidding me? I've been going to therapy for 20 years for this other thing. And it was like the one time my mom was like late to pick me up from school or, you know, whatever. Wow. That's good. I think that that will help people to not be afraid to move forward with investigating. Definitely. And you're really just looking for clues 
for, I always tell people, keep it lighthearted. You're just literally looking for clues for what you can address to feel better. Like that's what it's about. It's about getting information to help you feel better. That's it. So what do you do once you kind of hone in on what it is? So once you hone in on what it is, there's several techniques that I teach in my books to help you actually clear the energy or release the energy of those things from your body so that you can release the quote unquote stress that they're causing in your body. So once we find out what we need to clear, and a lot of times it can be tons of different things. It's not usually one big thing. It's usually like 10 little things or whatever. You can actually apply the techniques that I teach in my books to clear those or neutralize those in your body so they're not having the negative effect they may have been up until now. And I know I I was working with some of them. Maybe there's some that you your favorites you can share. Tapping is something that I think might be very interesting for folks to learn about. Yeah. So tapping is the shortcut name for emotional freedom technique or EFT, which is the process of tapping on different acupoints that correspond to meridians or energy pathways in your body, tapping on different points on your face and body to release stuck energy or blockages that are contributing to holding on to this emotional energy. And so it's basically a really easy technique where you tap and talk about the experience or the worry or the challenge at the same time. And what it does is by talking about it, you're bringing it up to the surface where maybe it's been buried prior to that. And then the tapping allows you to actually work that through the energy system. So it's not causing blockages, which is the concept behind that is that blockages in the energy system when it's not flowing freely are causing symptoms. And so that's what you're doing basically is you're just bringing up that energy that was stuck, that was hidden maybe, or that you weren't dealing with, and you're tapping it, so to speak, out of your system or through your system to let it go. As should have happened probably a long time ago when you were first experiencing that experience or that worry. But because we're humans, we hold on to things. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) You know, I just had someone on the podcast that spoke about EMDR. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar? Yeah, it's similar in idea, but you need to do it with a therapist. Tapping is something that you can use as a self-application tool, and it's really safe to use as such. EMDR must be done with a trained professional. One of the things I really like about tapping is that you can do it for yourself because one of the problems that happens with people with anxiety, depression, chronic illness is that their nervous systems become so frazzled and imbalanced. And this idea that they can't help themselves only furthers that feeling. And so what I love about any self-application tool, but especially EFT, it has so many studies behind it. I actually teach it at New York Presbyterian Hospital, like hospitals use it, bring people in to teach it. It's a very, very good technique used for PTSD. They use it in veterans organizations for people with trauma. But what I like is that you can do something about how you feel. And there's nothing that's more stressful, I can say, as somebody who has been chronically ill, than not being able to help yourself. That is such a good point. Yeah. So while I think EMDR can be fantastic, it still requires that your safety or your empowerment is handed over to somebody else because they have to do it with you. Whereas if you're at home and you're having a panic attack, you have to call your EMDR therapist Mm. and make an appointment and feel, you know, 
whatever you feel until you get in there. But with EFT, you could immediately start doing it on yourself. And at least until you got that professional help, which is always beneficial, you would feel safe in your own hands. You would have some autonomy over how you feel, which I think is really important for healing. That is a very important point, especially with trauma, where that autonomy is often taken away. And especially like you were saying earlier, you were like thousands and thousands of dollars later, you figured out that you could heal yourself. I love that you're so generous with your work that you're like, I want you to not need me. (laughs) Right. Oh my gosh. That's always my goal. So sometimes I'll do sessions with clients and I do very limited amount of them, but I'm always like the faster they feel better and never think about me again, the better, because that's the whole point, right? The point is so that if God forbid in you know a few years something happened again, they don't start all over. They have tools to address it. And and again, just feeling like you have some autonomy over your own well-being, that in and of itself is a healing modality. So anything that helps you feel empowered, whether it's the work that I practice or yoga or meditation or whatever it is, it doesn't even matter as much as engaging in that practice calms your nervous system and tells you, you are okay. You have some control and that is healing despite anything else you're doing. That is such a good point. Thank you. I think it's very powerful that you're sharing that, you know, this is something that has helped trauma survivors. Can you share a little bit about some of the clients that you've worked with and Sure. So, I mean, I've worked with a lot of clients with a lot of trauma because typically speaking, those that are struggling or experiencing chronic illness have had some trauma. And again, trauma doesn't always mean the things that we think of in terms of trauma. It can be something slightly more subtle than a major trauma. It can be feeling like you were forgotten when your mom was late to pick you up. That's really traumatizing for a kid. And the age that you are when an experience happens really does matter. Because if you were forgotten and you were 14, you might just walk home. But if you've forgotten and you were four, you would freak out. So our capacity to deal with things at different ages definitely influences how we hold things in our bodies. So, you know, I definitely had clients though with major traumas, abuse and and such, and then traumas that are a lot lesser traumas that, you know, the trauma of loss, which is not a lesser one, but that's a huge trauma. But the trauma of medical trauma, just dealing with the medical system is very traumatic for people. Financial trauma, getting money stolen or losing money in some way, trauma of broken up friendships. The tra- I mean, there's there's just so many different ways we can feel traumatized or be traumatized that aren't like super obvious. So we kind of like brush them under the rug and move on, but it's still sitting there kind of eroding at our systems. And it's not that we need to worry that every stressful thing or bad thing that ever happened to us is going to get us sick. That's not how it works. But what happens is when enough of that piles on, it can start to have an effect on our body. And even working with the tools to clear just one or two or three things from your life can make a really, really big difference. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when I was reading your book, I started doing some of the techniques, tapping, I think on the like around the thymus gland. Yes. You know, just when I would just notice during the day that if I was feeling a little tense or imbalanced, I would just do that and feel more regulated. 
Yes. It's something yes. not too difficult to learn, I don't think, or you wouldn't have put it in the book. <laughs> exactly. So all of the things I put in the book, I always reassure everybody, are super easy because I am like the world's most impatient person. So for me, when I was healing, I just knew, I mean, I read tons of books on tons of different practices, but they were all like practice this 47 times a day, every day for 20 years. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to do this. That, or things would take like two hours. And it's like when you're exhausted and sick or whatever, you just, I don't know, maybe there are people that are more disciplined than me in that way. But like, I just didn't resonate with those like heavy, intense techniques. For me, it had to be about like realizing what was going on, what I was holding on to, and then just finding like a lighthearted way to let it go. And I feel all of my techniques are pretty easy breezy. Like I tell people to work on things like 20 minutes at a time, no more than that. You don't need to be sitting on your bed crying. Like you can do it while you're watching TV. Like this doesn't have to be like a depressing therapy session. Mm. That's part of the problem is that we've gotten this idea that dealing with our feelings is this massive overwhelming thing. And so we keep putting it up because we don't have time or we don't have energy or we don't whatever. And then it all piles up and gets stuck. But if we could embrace a more lighthearted approach to dealing with our emotions and just deal with them easy breezy as they come along. Not to say you won't cry or you won't feel anything heavy, but just don't make such a big thing. Don't put stuff on top of what we're already feeling. Just what are we feeling? What technique can we use? How can we move through it? And then let's just do it so that we can move on and not like let all this stuff pile up. Mm, I love that. It sounds like you add a lot of humor and keeping things in perspective. And so we don't add this other layer of, which we've talked about a lot here, like I'm now mad that I'm not well. <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah. Which is really easy to feel because it does really suck to not feel well. And we get really impatient, but all that does is add more stress. I just always have to like, remember that surrendering to the experience gets you ahead faster because fighting it just slows you down. All that resistance slows you down so much. And if you can just say, you know, I may want to be there. I may want to be well, but until I get there, I'm just here right now. Like this is just where I am today. And just be okay with where you are today. And the same tomorrow and the same tomorrow doesn't mean you have to give up your goals of where you want to be. You'll get there. But for right now, you can't be anywhere in this moment, no matter what you do, than right where you are. So I always just tell people, if you can just say, I surrender to where I am right now, and then know in your head, you're still working on getting somewhere better. It takes so much pressure off. Otherwise, we're just in constant panic and fix it mode. And you can't fix anything right this second. Like you could never find like a supplement or a drug that you could take right this second that would make you feel better in two minutes. It's just not like, trust me, I've tried. It's not going to work. I think just that idea of just like, can I just let go? Can I just surrender to what is right now until I get to where I'm going? That's such an important point because we just use a lot of energy on just fighting what's here. Yes. And I always tell people just trade in the fighting energy for energy to heal. Like as soon as you stop using all that energy to fight, it goes straight toward your healing. It goes straight to your immune system. It goes straight to your nervous system. It goes straight to your organs, glands, and muscles that need it. Like if you can think of, can, if you can kind of play a game with yourself and think of it as a trade-off, mm. sometimes that can be really helpful. Like, okay, I'm going to give up fighting in this moment. I'm going to send all that energy to my gut that needs healing, my back that needs healing, my immune system, whatever it is. Really, really good point. So hard though, right? It is hard when we're really in it, you know? 
I know. Especially when it's really rough. You know, it's, it is very, very hard to accept. We just have to practice. We have to practice. And I think holding that, accepting that this is here right now doesn't mean that we're not going to try to move. You know, it's holding those both things. And I think that's somewhere where sometimes where it gets confused. Exactly. It's that's not what giving people, up. Yes. That's what happens is that people think that surrendering means giving up. And I have a whole chapter of this and how to heal yourself when no one else can because surrendering really just means being okay in this moment for right now. That's it. Nobody's saying it's not going to be different. Nobody's saying you don't want the thing that you want. Nobody's saying you're not still working toward healing. It's just right this second, while you're on your way to that, it's okay to be where you are right in this second. Yes. The other thing in your book that I found really helpful is this figure eight around the eyes. Yeah. So that is actually that technique or that concept came from Donna Eden, who wrote the book Energy Medicine. She's an energy medicine pioneer. And I learned from her that the figure eight is, it's like the shape of our DNA. It's the direction in which energy flows and tracing it around the eyes is a way to connect the left and right brain. It's a way to help energy flow around your eyes and your eyes are linked energetically in Chinese medicine to kidneys, which are linked to the emotion of fear. So doing that figure eight just helps smooth out all that energy. And it also helps concentration too, just because your eyes and that part of your head are part of that. So yeah, just putting your fingertips like on an eyebrow and then tracing sideways like an eight around your eyes. It can be really calming and just like a really simple healing technique. It's making sense now why I resonated with that one. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's really good for people who are on computers all day too. It gives their eyes a break. Yeah. And we talk a lot about, you know, in yoga about the left and right hemispheres of the brain and yes. crossing the body, twisting. Yes. And it's crossing over. So in the body, the energy is works crisscross. And what happens when it's not crossing over anymore, it's not running in that natural pattern, is that you can feel sluggish, you can feel anxious, you can feel depressed. So actually retraining the body to supporting the body and flowing in the right energy pattern, which is the crisscross pattern, um, is really helpful. So that those yoga poses where you cross, where you cross over your body, that also really, really helps. It's all important for basically optimizing your energy flow in the way that helps you feel the best. Yeah. And I love what you said, supporting the body in like its natural rhythm. It's just like helping it out with that because... We have a lot of unnatural circumstances in our lives these days, computer time being one of them. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, the body needs a little extra support. Always, always. I was on um, a nature walk recently and our guide was pointing out how even like trees, they grow in the spiral. Mm. And I thought that was so beautiful. And it, it I think it's something that connects all living things. Yeah. So true. Have you ever been to Sedona? I was supposed to go in 2020. Oh, okay. I'm still well, angry. Can you tell? <laughs> That's so funny. The funny thing is, so I always wanted to go to Sedona. And the reason that I bring it up is because there's energy vortexes there and the trees are twisted. It's crazy. Like not just circular, but like literally like the the trunks of the trees are twisted like a rag if you twisted it. I cannot wait. <laughs> it's crazy. So I had always wanted to go to Sedona 
And then I have a funny story that I found out I was maybe like the least spiritual person in the world, even though I don't think I am. I did not like Sedona. I couldn't wait uh, to leave. I almost leave Sedona early because the energy was way too intense for me, which I mean, I live in New York City. I feel like nothing's too intense for me, but there was something about Sedona that like brought up all this stuff and it's gorgeous there. And I've also never heard of anyone else who said this. So you should definitely still go. But I waited like so long to go to Sedona. And then I was like, I got there. And after three days, I was like, I just want to go home. (laughs) It was so so interesting, but there's so much energy there. Well, I did hear from one person, another person that they didn't like Sedona because they felt like it was also attracting like the darker side of things. Interesting. Interesting. Maybe that's what I was feeling. I'm not, I'm like very sensitive. I'm very empathic and I'm very intuitive, but I am not one of those people you hear about that like can't handle crowds, doesn't go to this. I'm very New York City. Like I find that I'm energized by the energy and not Mm -hmm. drained by it. So I'm not one of those people that's like, oh my gosh, I feel something bad here or it's too much for me. Like I was so surprised when I went to Sedona because I thought it was going to be this very uplifting, amazing, energetic experience. And I never felt so low in my life. It was Mm. so interesting. I really don't know what it was. Maybe something was clearing or maybe what it's, it's what you're saying, but I find comfort in that, you know, somebody that had a similar experience. Cause I, I was like, this is so weird. You just never know, right? You never know what your body's feeling. Well, maybe, I mean, I want to ask you just a little bit more about energy practices. And I do find that when things are really open, like openness isn't always the answer because both then you're open to everything, <laughs> right? Everything will come. So I always, in the way that I teach and practice is like this balance of boundaries and not just being like bleeding open. And that might have been what you were feeling there as a place that's very open. And so the good and the bad is all kind of like, interesting. Yeah, yeah maybe it was very surprising and interesting. Yeah. And then I checked Sedona off my list and now I don't need to go back, but it was gorgeous. It is, I mean, it is so pretty there. I mean, you talk in your book about the body as energy. Are there any other like energetic practices or just theories around the body as energy that are important to share with our listeners? I mean, I think really one thing that we haven't talked about is there's emotions that we've talked a lot about, but the thing we haven't talked about is beliefs Yes, and how what we believe becomes basically our programming to direct our behavior in life. And I think, and all my books cover this and my work covers this, but I think listening to your, you know, in addition to using muscle testing, if you want, or just asking yourself the questions, what can my body be saying? It's like, I think it's really important to ask, what am I believing that might be making me feel the way I feel? Like, do I believe, was I programmed in some way to believe something bad's always going to happen or nobody, you know, my voice doesn't matter. Nobody's going to care what I have to say. Like to listen to your sort of inner critic or your inner narrative and see if you can pick out things that you might be believing that could be registering as stressful in your body. Because I think that's as important has the emotions we feel that we don't address. Like, what are we believing that's BS, that's not, you know, aligned with our best life? And some of those beliefs around not deserving to heal, or it might not be safe to heal, or, you know, maybe if I'm well, 
people won't take care of me in the way that they have been. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are those ones that you see a lot? And how do we sort of uncover and work with those? Yeah, I see those so much. Those are huge ones. I also seem, I had this belief and it seems so crazy because I was doing so much to be well, but I had the belief that it was safer to be stuck in bed than out in the world. Mm. Because I was somebody who was very sensitive, especially as a child. I'm less sensitive now that I'm older, but I was, and that I've done all this work, but I was really sensitive as a kid. And I feel like sometimes it just was safer to be homesick. And it wasn't like, once I sort of put that together, I wasn't super surprised that I was like someone who ended up subconsciously at some level, maybe calling in chronic illness because it put me in my safe zone, which was home not having to be out and use my voice and share my opinions and risk disappointing people and all that stuff. I think that belief, like, do we have the belief that it's safer to have anxiety than to be out in the world? It's safer to be chronically ill than be out in the world. It's safer to be depressed than to have to go have a really stressful job or stand up to our parents or whatever the other thing is. Sometimes that other thing, the belief is that the other thing is scarier or worse or more dangerous than being well. How would you help someone to take that chance? So there's a technique called the sweep in my book, like a broom, the sweep. That's a reprogramming script that you read and you fill in the blanks with the belief you have and the new one you want to install. And I give you all the belief, like these are all in my book. That basically helps you reprogram those old beliefs. The good news is beliefs are just beliefs. They're not fact. So you can rewire them in your brain. And so one of the techniques I teach, it's also on YouTube. If somebody doesn't have the book or doesn't want to buy the book and just go to my YouTube channel, the sweep will show you how to reprogram those beliefs. Like it's safer to be sick than to go do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes even just doing the script a few times can unravel that old programming to help shift your perspective and your feeling about being back out in the world and about how safe you can be even when you're out out of bed and out of the house. So all of these things that I'm talking about today, there are absolutely ways to remedy it. It's not like, oh no, now we have all these things and we don't know what to do. That's what these techniques that I created and studied for many years and used to heal myself, that's what they're for. They are the vessel or the vehicle to essentially undo that old programming. Yeah. I mean, and you are proof. (laughs) You are. Thank you. You know, I want to acknowledge that you also, in your book, you talk about, you know, some other symptoms. You've fixed your digestion and there was a phobia of speaking on the phone. So basically what I believe is that all of the things are connected to all of the things. So people come to me and they're like, I have 20 problems. And I'm like, you probably only have three, but they're all connected and they're all causing all of these other things. Whether somebody's sitting there going, oh, I'm anxious and I have digestion and a fear of speaking and a fear of da 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 they're probably just a couple of core things that are going on. And all of those are sort of tentacles attached to that. And so I tell people not to get overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, now I have so much to fix. Even just working on one or two things you become aware of can completely shift how you feel. Yeah. And sometimes it happens quickly and sometimes it takes way longer than you want, but releasing that energy is the start. Releasing the trauma, the energy, the beliefs, whatever it is, is the start for allowing your body to start to gently come back into balance so that you can feel in balance. 
And it's, it's that autonomy also. I think you build that kind of belief and excitement when you fix one thing that suddenly the other things, you can't fix one thing without other things shifting. But then that there, there's this other layer of finally seeing that you can make this change that gives a lot of energy towards working on the other things. Of course, you get inspired. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And empowered. Like we were yes. talking about, you realize yeah. that, you know, you're not stuck and you, you can do it. Yes. And then I think that lends to what we, where we started off, which was resilience. Like that's what resilience is about is overcoming, right. And being able to navigate a path with some kind of confidence, even when that path is difficult. And I think that's also what these tools give you is just something to do instead of sit there and feeling like crap. Like that's everything just to have that actionable tool or tools so that you do feel empowered. Yeah. It can start with a very small thing. Like I think if listeners just want to try doing the figure eight or some of the tapping methods in your book, they will experience what I did, which is like just a small thing can make such a big difference. Yeah. And I tell people even five minutes, like don't make it really realize over the years how much more difficult people make things for themselves than they need to. I teach writing classes and one of my students wrote to me and said, I'm so upset. I haven't gotten as much done as I wanted. I, you know, I'm aiming to write a thousand words a day. And I wrote back and I said, I told you not to aim for more than 15 minutes a day. That's like 500 words or that's like 300 words. Like, why did you do, you know what I mean? Like, why did you set the bar so high that you couldn't reach it? Like that, why do we do that? So I think, you know, all of my teachings is just like, I tell my writers just write for five minutes a day. Like you can write a book in just five minutes a day. I Mm. write most of my books in five to 15 minutes a day. I don't (laughs) spend five hours a day. If I told myself I was going to spend five hours a day, I would never write a book because it's too overwhelming. And it's the same with self-healing. Start with five minutes a day. And I don't let any of my students go past 20 minutes. I'm like, 20 minutes is fine. Then you're done. Like, go do whatever else you want. So I think just remembering that small things can make big changes is really important. I totally believe that. I think the same thing about yoga. People think like they need to take an hour, hour and a half class and you don't. (laughs) And a little bit, oh, I just heard this. I thought it was so great. Like a little bit all the time is a lot. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. I love that. And you know, those of us with busy lives, that is for us. (laughs) Yes. I really love it. Amy, I know you're really busy and you're, we're getting on the end of our time. I want to ask you what's coming up for you. I know you're getting into travel writing and if there's anything else that I didn't ask you today, that's important for folks to hear. Oh, thank you. So I just finished a co-authored travel book for National Geographic that I'm really excited about. And I've written travel before, but not a book. Although my memoir called This Is How I Saved My Life is a travel memoir because it's all about my healing journey and how I went to India. So I guess, you know, I have written a travel book in some sense and I'm working on a novel, just playing around with fiction a little bit. And I teach writing classes. I think I'm just doing all the things I love. Finally, I'm just trying to enjoy being healthy and sharing what I know with others. So I just hope people will go to my website, which is amybshare.com or even just go to YouTube and like, follow along to one of my videos. I have a lot of little mini energy healing sessions on there and just like follow along, just do five minutes and see how you feel. 
that would make me very happy. Oh, I know you're going to make many of our listeners just feel a little bit better going into their days. And that is really something because all that stuff adds up and it adds up to how we are in the world and enjoying our lives. I'm wondering now, is your bed happy and safe place in a balanced way? Yes. I still love my bed. It's actually really funny how much I love to like cuddle in bed and read for somebody who literally spent 10 years of her life in bed. But now it's just for, it's just for that. I really, most of the time I'm out of my bed. Thank goodness. But I still, I still do love my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a great lesson for folks listening, you know, that you can now re-enjoy that place and it's in a healthy way and a balanced way and it's rejuvenating for you. You're not hiding from the world. You're not sick and you can actually use your bed in a very healthy way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Amy. It was wonderful to get to talk to you and get to know you through our mutual friend. Maybe one day we'll all be together. I would love that so much. I would love it so much. It's been really, truly a pleasure to be here. And I thank you for inviting me on your wonderful, beautiful podcast. And I can't wait to share. Oh, thank you, Amy. Thanks. As we buzz around the busy world, it becomes clear there are billions of paths. As we buzz around the busy world, we will appear in other people's photographs. As we speed through the centuries, we will collide and the light will bend. We will be accidentally immortalized in someone else's land.